Welcome to Parallel, a tech podcast with accessibility sprinkles. I'm Shelley Brisbane, your host. Well, the last time we spoke, we were talking about Apple's Worldwide Developers Conference, its new mobile operating system. Yeah, but that's so last week. Uh, we're going to talk about something that goes even further back in time, but that is still interesting to a large portion of the world. And that is Android 12 from our friends at Google, which was announced in May and it continues to uh, move forward in the uh, in the unending chain of uh, releases, beta and otherwise, that happen this time of year. And uh, who better to talk with me about all things Google I.O. and Android than my favorite Android people? First up, it is J.J. Meadow, the host of the Blind Bargains podcast and proprietor of AT Guys. Hey, J.J., how are you? Howdy. Good morning. Glad to have you back. And because we like to get the band back together, my other favorite Android person, uh, it is Flo Ion, who is the host of co-host of Material Right Here. We don't want to slight Andy. Uh, Flo is the co-host of Material Right Here on Relay FM and also a staff writer at Gizmodo. Welcome back. Hi, Shelley. I'm so happy to be back. Happy to have you. Now, as we record this, I, I mentioned that we're just past... Apple's Worldwide Developers Conference. As people with calendars will know, Google I.O. happened in May, and that's when Android 12 was rolled out. And so we're not doing one of those instant reaction kind of shows. Hopefully what we'll get today is a little bit of uh, settled thought, because now you will have had a chance to play with the betas for Android 12 and have some thoughts about that generally. And then we'll also dip into accessibility and remind folks about how the the timing of accessibility with Android is a little different than it is in the mm-hmm. in the Apple world. Uh, but we'll get to all of that. So I guess I'd like to start with each of you. Uh, what, do you what did you think of Google I.O. this year? What was the sort of uh, big picture theme? Was it exciting? Was it boring? What, what was your take? I'm going to go ahead and jump in and it might be setting the stage a little, I don't want to be a pessimist, but I, and I, you know, look, it's 2021. We've all just lived through like this major collective trauma. And so getting back into the swing of covering tech can be a little hard after all that. And I just, just Android aside, the whole Google IO keynote, it seems, I don't know, now that I have now that I'm helping cover Apple, right, on staff somewhere, I'm starting to really notice the differences in messaging. And I really feel like Apple's WWDC keynote was much more focused on all the stuff that developers could do versus Google really tries with their keynotes to say, well, everybody's everybody's listening in, everybody's watching right now. So this is a good time for us to put out like our sort of state of the union about what's going on with the assistant and all these algorithms and you know, all the machine learning projects that we have going on. So there's such a strong focus on that, that it can be hard to remember to go to the sessions. The way Apple constructed WWDC, from what I understand, is that the keynote is all that you need as a journalist, let's say, to get the the gist of what's coming up versus for Google I.O. and from what I've experience covering it for so many years, it feels like the keynote is just the, here's the lay of the land, and then everything else you have to come to our sessions to really like understand what we're doing. So that's all to say, I feel like a lot of really cool features got eclipsed by some really questionable uh, artificial intelligence demonstrations. I was bored. <laughs> no, I, I, yes, exactly. I really was bored. <laughs> it was kind of boring. And, and maybe, and, and maybe it was. They were trying to be more developer focused or more wow factor focused. But even if Apple's WWDC was 
intended more for developers. They made it accessible for everyone so you could see how the new features they were announcing would apply to iOS 15. And as we get into the betas, you get the first beta of Android 12. Most of the things they announce, it's not the question of how is it going to work. It's the question of will it actually be in the beta, the thing that they just talked yep. about. Nothing's actually there yet. So beta one is kind of like this transition beta. I guess there's a lot of visual stuff. You can tell me about that because I don't see it. Because a lot of other stuff in the beta, it's more like, um, where did they move this thing that used to be in Android 11? Right. I hate to say it, guys, but um, there's not a lot of stuff going on. Material U is kind of like the big, like, oh, we're going to do this huge interface overhaul. They put out all these really pretty renders. Like if you just go Google the renders, you, oh, wow, this is a nice you know, visual direction to take Android. But it's not. None of it is really... You, you can add some color to the quick settings and like some of the menus, but there's none of that vision is apparent right now. And it's like, OK, <laughs> thanks. Like they weren't ready for, for the first beta. teasing. That's yeah. You tease something really exciting. I can't even use it. Yep. That's really interesting <laughs> that they just I don't know. They they felt like they could phone it in or that. I mean, that it's is sort of mind boggling. I don't think it's a phone it in. It's it's with Google. They just get really excited and then they they talk about it but then they're like coming soon <laughs> it's, it's like <laughs> okay but the last one I was there in, in person was the one with duplex and you know right. yes that was a far off future thing but at least everyone was walking away talking about it and discussing the pros and cons and figuring out if that was a good feature there's nothing that anyone was even talking about a day later and I had to go back to notes to remember what was in the keynote <laughs> only that weird demo between the planet Pluto, which is not a planet anymore. And by the way, that was like supposed to be this huge joke. This like, oh, Pluto is a planet and nobody laughed. (laughs) (laughs) I noticed what they were doing with the writing, but it was just kind of like, ooh. Um, And then they had a demo with a paper airplane. And by the way, if you do a little more Googling, you'll see that like the ethics behind the machine learning they used in those things is like really there's a there's a big thing going on. There's, there's a lot. Which ironically, you have to Google to learn about. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Well, 90% of the world search traffic. But but that's been a thing since, since duplex. It's like, here, here's this amazing thing we're doing. Oh yeah. Ethical challenges are, are there. And I I don't know, it, it, it seems like Google, even if they were going to do these things and they were committed to doing these things, they would find a way to present it that would be a little less open to criticism. Yeah. And this demo made honestly no sense. And it wasn't until a week later when Andy and I on material, um, my co-host on material, Andy and not co, we started to kind of look into it for, for our podcast notes. And we realized that the machine learning that was debuted that confused everybody at the keynote. There's what I meant when there was a, some ethical implications is that, um, the algorithm pulls in all the data from the internet <laughs> And spits it out. I'm I'm uh, kind of I don't want to say dumbing it down, but I'm try, I'm oversimplifying sure. it just so like people can understand that it's taking everything from the internet. And as we know, the internet is a garbage place in <laughs> really in totality. Not our part of the of internet, course not, but you know. just in general. But yeah. if you're if you're going out to the wider, it's a fire hose. And if you're going out to the wider, and, and if you're feeding that to a robot, that's dangerous. So that's. Right, because they can't if discern. If anybody's curious, you can Google around that, what's going on with that and why it's such a, that's, that's and, the real And how thing. self-aware is Google about that? Or do they not care? Or what do you think that their attitude is? I know that they're self-aware because I can see it in the actions that have 
happened in the last year. Um, there's been a lot of controversy around the workplace at Google, what's been going on internally. Um, I feel like they're self-aware yeah. enough to pretend to care. Yeah. Yeah. That was the other thing is the keynote made a lot of men and Apple did this too, by the way, there's been a lot of, I, I don't want to be cynical about it, but they'll make a lot of mention, you know, this is our LGBTQ friendly situation here, or this is our, you know, no gender situation here, but the larger context around it is what, what else are you guys, you guys, those are just little things. They're not really, you're not really walking the walk. Let's put it that way. Right. And and (laughs) I, I know more about what I see from Apple because I follow them a little bit more closely, but they're, they, at least in what Apple does, it's sort of very much very white, including when you mm-hmm. have presenters. Sometimes there are presenters of color. Sometimes there are, occasionally there's a presenter with a disability. We got one this week uh, who's presented before, I should say. So mm-hmm. I, I give that person credit and don't want to tokenize them in any way. Uh, and I don't know what Google's sort of face uh, presentational strategy is as far as that goes. But it does sort of feel like there's a a, a minimalist uh, a nod. It's okay. We're in Pride, Pride Month, so I think watch bands would be a good great way to celebrate that. Uh, <laughs> uh, and, and Accessibility Awareness Day was last month, which we'll get to a little bit later in terms of both Apple and Google. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I, I feel you there. <laughs> it's it's a it's a rough time. I think a lot of us are becoming more aware of the reality of the situation on Earth. Okay, just to just to overgeneralize it, too. Um, And I think it's harder now to watch these keynotes. It's like part of me is incredibly excited as a user um, and a person who is going to really enjoy using these things that I do every day. But the other part of me is like, (sighs) well, will this will this wheel ever stop turning? Because it's yeah. And maybe that comes with age, too. (laughs) Not to go into the sort of boring, mundane, uh, the the tech part of it, just because I don't know what we can do other than sigh as far as the, the sort of how we interact exactly. with the world part. But but talk about Material U and the, the way that the initial articles that I read, like if I found an article that was dated the day after the keynote, it was like, Google completely redesigns yep. Android. So did they? No, not yet. Not yet. I'm kind of pawing at it right now. I loaded the beta. We're on beta two now, Android 12 beta two. Um, I have it running on a pixel 4a 5g, which was loaned to me by Google. Um, and what I did is I installed the beta that week, couple, the week of Google IO, I should say a couple days went by. I told my editor, I was like, okay, I want to go in and really look at what they changed or didn't. Cause I'm noticing everybody is talking about what hasn't changed. It's extremely minimal. What Google had sold us was this vision of plug in a wallpaper and we're going to construct all the visual elements around that wallpaper that you put as your background. And Android users already have been doing this for so long. We've been going in and downloading the apps that we want. We've been changing icons, you know, like we get like special widgets. Yeah. Customization. So fun. Um, we were kind of hoping that when iOS introduced widgets and started to get this, um, just this, this interface that we had sort of always wanted, (laughs) well, I'll speak for myself. 
I was kind of hoping that that's what I would see. There was promises of widgets that would also mold to that wallpaper. Um, it would have like curved corners. The coloring would match the rest of the coloring of the interface. But again, that's not available. The only thing that you will see right now is if you swipe down on the notification shade, you will see that the buttons have changed. Yes, there's a lot of changes in there. And there's a color on them. Well, then that's about it. And that means that my question to JJ is entirely irrelevant, which was going to be, does material you impact talk back? And if it's all about colors and things, I'm guessing not. No, not really. I mean, at least we've gotten to the point where I recognize that when these major visual overhauls are going to happen to an OS, they usually don't mess with the accessibility in the meantime. It's not a worry this point of, oh, is this new version of uh, Android going to mess up accessibility? And that's fine. It's pretty much the same old Android. The only things that I've really noticed, like you mentioned notifications, there's some movement of the tiles. Um, we'll get to this, I'm sure. The um, uh, Payment settings, which were under the power menu, are now one of the tiles up in notifications. At least to me, that's kind of how it reads. Um, a few other things have moved around, but no, nothing major at all. I, you could tell me there was any new design, and I, you know, I'd believe you. I will say something that they mentioned, or maybe I read it on one of the Android blogs, but they are saying that the way that this could be accessible is that you can tweak the colors. So if you have colorblindness, um, whether you have a red-green colorblindness or maybe a yellow-blue colorblindness, you can tweak the hues so that it's just more comfortable to you. You can also tweak the contrast, size, and line width of the interface. And that, that stuff so. is interesting. I mean, there's always been the ability to change font sizes and even font cho choices of fonts. And, in, in, mm -hmm. you know, and obviously how apps deal with that is a whole separate thing. Yep. And there, there has been... And, and I, you know, it, that's the challenge for me. Like whenever I hear of a change in visual interface, I'm like, well, what are you going to do that breaks inverted video or dark mode or whatever we're using? And I don't know the answer to that because I haven't played with the Android 12 betas, but, but that would be my, the more flexibility, obviously, the more choices you have and the better able you are to make those choices as a group, as opposed to, all right, before I can use my phone, I need to fiddle with eight different settings so that it looks the way I want to. You know, the, so the more choice, the better, as long as it's easy to implement and maybe even save those groups of changes that you want. I have a small visual question and maybe it's just me. There used to be in my world an all apps button near the bottom of the screen. Did that visually disappear? Because I was hunting around for that. Then I realized I could do a two finger swipe up from the bottom of the screen and it works just fine. So I don't really need the button. But that was something I noticed right away. Like, where did this go? You're talking about a button that takes you to all the apps. Yeah, there the was device. a button. As it spoke to Talkback users, it said all apps button. And you could double tap on that, and that was one way to get to the app drawer. Right, because normally you would just swipe up from the bottom. Right, which is fine. I'll do it that way. I was just like, oh, this disappeared. Oh, maybe they figured most people were doing that as swiping as opposed to looking at Maybe I should have, <laughs> which I will yeah. now. It's, well, it's fine. And yeah, I could do a. The other reason is they want to push people towards this gesture based use, and they actually introduced new gesture functionality for accessibility. Again? And so I am. <laughs> I mean, oh, I feel yeah. like they change the accessibility gestures a lot on Android. <laughs> well, now you can do customizable multi-finger finger gestures. Yes. How do you feel about that, JJ? <laughs> so, yeah, so this actually goes back to March when the new version of TalkBack came out. So the latest Pixels have it and a lot of the Samsung phones have it. That's right. <clears throat> that was a new announcement. Yes. 
just as a side note. Yes, exactly. So the the customization has been there, but yeah, you're right. Multi-finger gesture customization is new and a good thing. And it's nice to have options. This is one of those things that screen reader users have been clamoring for for years and years because we had those weird angle gestures. You know, you do down then right and you know up then left. I figured them out. Many, many users had a lot of trouble. I think what they did is they took the angle and they kind of made it into a straight line and that's why it wasn't working for them. So... You know, obviously having the multi-finger opens up a lot more possibilities because what you had before is a lot of common screen reader commands buried under menus. So it wouldn't be very efficient to do something because you'd have to go through two or three steps just to, to God, get it. How tedious. Yeah, exactly. So now you can do it either way. The big, uh, the talkback menu, which is the one menu that remains, you could do a three-finger tap and that will bring up that menu. If you have a newer phone or a Pixel, um, it's worth noting that the Samsung collaboration though, uh, which I think has now filtered down to other things as well. So, you know, a lot of newer Samsung phones, Samsung no longer has their own screen reader, uh, at least for newer phones. It's just going to be TalkBack. That's great for anyone that is creating, uh, that is doing accessibility testing. Totally. Absolutely. Because yeah. they were, you know, people were always asking, well, which, what do we test with? What screen and reader do we test And even for users, with? because having to know another set of gestures or even just like, oh, it's, it's based on TalkBack, but it's different. That's not a good scene. Yeah. Yeah. And for a phone manufacturer who makes like the top selling Android phone in the yep. world. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And now they're doing it. And now they're having collaborations on the watch on Wear as well. So it seems like this partnership is a bit more than just for TalkBack. Yeah, I was going to get to Wear OS in a little bit uh, to, to the extent y'all y'all know about it, because I know very, very little about Android. based Nobody watch knows stuff. anything about mm-hmm. it. Okay. Really. We, we just we just know <laughs> that. That apparently it's going to be Wear now. Right. You could still call it Wear OS if you it's like. That's where. okay. But they're gradually going to start going back to calling it just Wear. W-H-E-R-E because we have no idea where it is. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's a good I'm one, JJ. That. I like it. If I can figure out how to make that into a title, we'll... Yeah, I was, I was just going to say, that's a great... It's either that or writing out a sigh. <laughs> Well, uh, if if material for you, material for you. See, I'm I'm trying to rename it myself now. If material you is is a dud so far, and I don't know whether you guys anticipate it changing much in in future betas. What about the privacy features? That was another thing that, you know, and, and as we discussed before, uh, Google's record on privacy uh, somewhat open, open to scrutiny. But but are these privacy features that have been added in Android 12 useful, interesting, terrible? What? They're useful. I mean, they're going to be useful. What they're doing is they're going to require developers to be much more um, transparent about like the ad SDKs that they're using and any um, basically any permissions that they require and a couple other things that are escaping my brain right now. I apologize. But the idea is that this is all going to be transparent in the Play Store before you even load the app onto your phone. Um, but as it stands with everything Google, they'll give you everything, but it's up to you to figure out how to navigate around it. And that's what I, I don't quite know yet because um, Android 12 won't be live until this fall. So until it is live, 
a lot of what we talk about is mostly theoretical. <laughs> right. You'll have things in betas and like, well, we're not sure if we're actually going to keep this feature. Uh, let mm. us know if we should or not. You know, it's, it's a lot of kind of testing. Or it'll like be super buggy and then they'll end up just saying, you know what, let's save that for the next OS. <laughs> yeah, it's not going to work. Um, there are a few things in privacy that came in in beta too, especially around the microphone and the camera. There's going to be, uh, is there an icon up on the status bar now that'll say if, if a right. current app is using it? And one thing I like about that is if you have an app that's persistent about it that you don't really think needs your microphone, you can pretty much have it fake it and send a blank empty, you know, it's a pretty much me coming on Zoom but muting myself and that's what the app will yeah. get and it'll know, it'll think that the microphone is on but you're actually not sending anything. They're going to do this with a couple other things like tracking. They're trying to, well, they're trying to cut down on third-party tracking mostly as a, um, an, a nice veneer, you yeah. know, because there's so many, there's there's so much talk around like, what is Google tracking from us? Google will still track you, but if you don't want your advertising ID to be shared with third parties, there's going to be a setting deep in the menu that'll let you disable that. So it's going to be these little things that you're going to have to read the internet. <laughs> really? Right. It's going to be five menus deep and no one's going to know where it is. It feels like privacy features are the kind that would be easiest for them to turn off and on because unless they have during the beta cycle, because unless they have a specific marketing angle around we're creating this massive privacy thing. It's very easy for them to say, yeah, as, as you said, the setting isn't working out for bug reasons or it doesn't seem all that popular or nobody knows how to work it or we didn't mean it anyway or something yeah. like that. Yeah, but unlike Apple, it's not off by default. And because Apple is pushing, I mean, I see every ad from Apple now is like, we're the private operating system. So it makes sense that they would put it off by default when you get the phone. And most people, because they're not thinking about it, that means that they're free to live life without that tracking versus, and again, some of this is theoretical and I apologize, but versus an Android person, if it's not off by default and you're just going out into the world with your Samsung device, but you're still, yep. all of your tracking ID is still being, uh, you know, broadcasted <laughs> to yeah. every third party marketer. Anything else in Android 12, just sort of as a mainline feature that we should talk about before we move on to where and accessibility? So there's there's one that doesn't really excite me that I, I get why they did it. Uh, they added an option that you can hold down the power button for assistant. Uh, for me, I'm not really a big fan because what this has done is displaced a bunch of other things that used to be there. Uh, the mm -hmm. Home controls, the uh, selecting different payment cards if you wanted to do. So much for the power menu. Yes, not very powerful. <laughs> And I have a Pixel, and I have one of the, I, know, I realize not every Pixel has the squeeze for assistant feature, and that's not, not a thing. Which that's just sounds new wrong, ones, but they, I'm, <laughs> squeeze for they cannot, assistant? Well, they can't, I guess they can't figure out where the assistant should go, so that it keeps moving around, and since that's no longer a thing in new ones, right, so now it lands on the power button. How do um, you do accessibility shortcut equivalent in Android? You would hold that, to turn it on and off? Yeah. Uh, you hold down the volume buttons. Oh well, that seems that's interesting. I mean, I they've always haven't they they've always had a button that would let you summon the assistant, right? Either a button on screen or did was there not a hardware button? Yeah, yeah it's still before? on screen. Yeah, yeah. The squeeze feature, which I should also mention, by the way, um, I was speaking to a friend of mine, and they mentioned that the lack of squeeze feature actually is taking away an accessibility feature that existed in Android. The ability to squeeze mm, the phone, that yeah, is. Yeah, that's interesting. And, and program it to do what you might need. Right. Because um, I think there was a way to take it off from, 
you know, launching the assistant. Oh, that's quite possible. Yeah, one of the that cool makes sense. One of the cool third party apps on Android is called Button Mapper. And you can take any random yes. hardware button that happens to be on the phone. You can attach it to all sorts of things. So the less available buttons, surfaces, controls. Now there's a new tap on the back thing, though. Oh, oh, interesting. Again, I'm not sure which so phone. So, so that is a follow on to what Apple did last year. But <laughs> oh not goodness. that that's good or bad. It's just that that Are makes just, sense that you have another surface that you can interact with. Right, we're just with. finding every part of the phone. Hmm, which, which part exactly. have we not activated yet? So you can put anything on the back tap or, or are there certain limitations to that or? Uh, again. Who knows? It's <laughs> yeah, good enough exactly. for me. What should we say about Wear, formerly Wear OS, that's now being done in conjunction with, with Samsung, which probably makes total sense for Samsung. They're probably like, yeah, I don't really want to be in the watch, watch OS business anymore. Let's let Google do it. Yeah, but it's going to create a little fragmentation. I use a Samsung watch. I'm wearing one right now. It runs Tizen OS, which is Samsung's um, own little back-end operating system. And I'm very happy with the watch. I've had it for several years now. And I really like the Samsung Health app. I'm ingrained into this little ecosystem. But I have no idea what this transition is going to look like. I have no idea at all. I couldn't even begin to tell you. Yeah, I'm curious. So like, earlier Samsung watches had, well, they had accessibility, you know, to speak on that angle, they had accessibility on main screens. And then when you tried to go into a lot of apps, you would just get a message. This app is not accessible and it wouldn't even let you pass it. Now that was a couple of years ago. So maybe that changed uh, over time. But I mean, generally speaking, as we know, you know, Android watches in general have just been more sluggish, less uh, processor than the Apple watch. And that leads to more sluggish accessibility features as well. So, I mean, the best one that was out there was probably the Tick watch. Uh, mm -hmm. But, you know, even that, you know, it wasn't very impressive for me to buy it. I'm excited that it looks like Google's uh, Fitbit acquisition is finally going to result in Android Wear or a version of it ending up on the Fitbit. So we'll see what that means for the accessibility of those devices. Yeah, because up to now, the Fitbits themselves have not been accessible. The apps are relatively accessible, right. at least in my experience, but that doesn't do you much good if you can't interact with the screen. Exactly. I can tell you about one accessibility feature that's going to come to where in the sense that it's a notification feature. Um, so actually what Google announced at its, it had a what's new in Android accessibility panel, which you can... You can Google that. <laughs> See, I didn't go to it. I didn't think there'd be any new, nothing announced there. I mean, <laughs> wow, that's, 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 that's so, their history with that this. Tells I was you actually lot, told that there's not a lot of super new stuff, but from what I learned is that they have sound alarms coming. And the sound alarm is going to, this is all part of the live caption features. So they had added all these new abilities. So live caption can now, um, as we saw the demo, can do captioning for calls as well as for song ID. So if there's a song playing in the background and you want to ah. know what the song is, it'll like read out the lyrics for you. This is also going to include sound alarms. So it's basically going to do onomatopoeia. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be like beep, beep, uh, barking dog, you know, that sort of thing. And if you set up a sound alarm so that, you know, I don't know, there's like a glass breaking and you didn't hear it or something of the sort, you could set up a push notification on Android to tell you that it hurt something. And so well, this, you get the notification. On it makes watch. sense, honestly, because <laughs> I, this was added to the phone pretty recently and it's, you know, it's been available there. But 
you're going to be more likely to have your watch on you than carrying your phone around you. So that does make a lot of sense to bring the sound alarm feature over to watch. Well, the sound alarm thing is interesting to me because Apple did something like that last year. And pardon me for saying it that way. It's not that I'm, I'm not doing the Apple fangirl thing. What I'm doing is I live in that world more. And so I'm comparing it to stuff And this I is know. factual, This is too, actual. So you're right. telling me... Yeah, yeah, I appreciate so, it. So Apple added uh, what they call sound recognition, and they have a set of sounds mm. like barking dog, uh, water running, doorbell, glass breaking. So they're a good set of sounds, and I think in iOS 15 they added some more. But my question, and they're using machine learning to identify you know, what that sound actually, to interpret it. But my question is, well, what if there's a particular sound that you would like to identify? Could you... Could you record it or could you use a larger library of options? Anyone. Yeah. And I that just feels to me. And of course, that's just me looking a gift horse in the mouth and going, more please. Uh, <laughs> and it and it worked really well on the iPhone, by the no, way. No, that would I, be I, an amazing feature. And I, yeah. I think yeah. Alexa had it before Apple if we're going to play this game. <laughs> right, right. Fair point. Fair <laughs> Not point. Not that I just set off everyone. Well, and it's worth noting that this feature, or at least I feel like this feature is derived from a common security camera feature. Because mm-hmm. yeah. security cameras, they were programmed these last couple of years to be able to recognize different kind of sounds. So, and I, I've been covering security cameras, so that's why I kind of know about this. Um, and I don't know. I guess well, it just sounds it so does, similar you know, to me. That's that's why. Well, it I'm makes total up, sense. But yeah. I mean, a security camera has a microphone and it has the ability to broadcast. It its does findings. machine learning now. Yeah. Yeah. It figures out what who you are by your face. So why shouldn't it figure out sound? Yeah, it, yeah. Like if you're going to be a super creepy device in my house, at least earn your keep by knowing what the well, sound is. Exactly. And, and, and that's exactly it. Again, the, the trade of security and nice features versus you know privacy and always on listening. I just went into my phone last night because one of my favorite uh, Android features, which is the creepiest, is the uh, the now playing <laughs> you know the song ID thing. You know, it, you can, it keeps a history of the songs that it hears. And I was at a wedding a couple of weeks ago and I was trying to remember some of the songs they play at the wedding. My phone has that because Heck yeah. <laughs> I yeah. love that feature. Oh, that is super creepy, but I do. Yeah, I, I like it. It's, I like it too, actually. <laughs> so even if in the, in the moment you weren't thinking, I would like to have that song, you can come back later and get, right. It is worth noting, by the way, that Now Playing is a completely stored on device. They just have this like tiny little text file that they add tracks to. Yes, that's, nice. that's true. I, yeah. They originally didn't give access to it. And I had to buy a third party app just to get access to the file on my phone. But then Google a month later was, oh, here, we'll give this to you now. Okay. Thanks for making me buy that app. <laughs> it's the equivalent of well, what they call Sherlocking in the Apple world, where the, the operating system acquires some function that was perfectly good mm-hmm. in a third party app. Yep. So, well, let's talk about accessibility. And I'll start by pointing out for people who might not be aware that whereas in the iOS world and macOS world, I guess, too, accessibility goes with the operating system. So whenever there are updates to the OS, that's when the accessibility updates typically arrive. In Android, Google decoupled the TalkBack updates, I guess TalkBack and BrailleBack, too. Maybe it's most accessibility features, but specifically TalkBack and BrailleBack. They decoupled them from uh, the updates to Android. So for example, this month, so for example, this year, the accessibility update announcements were in March and Google IO from a access, from a talkback feature point of view, wasn't really a thing. JJ, have I got that about right? Yeah, that's essentially it. We started to allude to it a little bit talking about the features that were added earlier in the year. Um, they've kind of 
taking things that have been bantered around for a while and enhanced them quite a bit. In addition to all the multi-finger gestures, they made a big push for voice command. So you pretty much can control any talkback feature now with your voice. Ironically, this is under, by default, an angle gesture. You would think if they're adding all the multi-finger gestures and everything that they would have I found a nice- I almost water right into my microphone. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. Yeah, right. No, you would think, you know, we would give like four finger tap or something to voice commands if we're going to make it such a cool and prominent feature. But no, it's up then right, I think. I don't know. I've already reassigned it. <laughs> I mean, it's a cool idea in, in theory. Uh, the Braille keyboard, and as in the on-screen Braille keyboard, has now uh, both the screen away mode and tabletop mode for anyone who's not familiar. And essentially, you could either have your phone sitting on your desk and kind of tapping on it in Braille, six-dot Braille, and typing that way, or the original, which was screen away mode, where you have the phone facing away from you, and you're kind of doing this weird... Some people love it, uh, but you kind of hold the phone away from you, and you're tapping in Braille that way. So now, pretty much the two modes that Apple had come up with, they've copied in they do seem to work relatively well. Um, Android 12, like I said, the one, one, one of the uh, things of uh, putting the Google Assistant on the power button, and there's an accessibility feature that goes back to Android 2 that I always used, which was power button ends call. And that is now mm-hmm. gone because mm-hmm. among the, you know, the power button has been... That makes no sense. Right, that was one of my... Just, I've always used that, and now right. I have to adjust. Now you can use uh, the two-finger double tap to end a call. But I bet there's plenty of sighted people that use that feature as well. Sure. Well, that yeah, and that again is the sort of the equivalent to the Apple Magic Tap. And the only reason I say that is because yep. I I always wonder when they think about what gestures to do, whether they're thinking about accommodating people who are maybe switching operating systems and to whom the two finger double tap is sort of intuitive. I think they did a good job of copying where it made sense, i.e. that one, and not copying every single Apple gesture. There are some that are quite a bit different and I think actually do make more sense. They didn't try to replicate the Apple rotor gesture where you're twisting your finger like a screwdriver. It's the goofiest thing ever. And we don't have that. (laughs) So they they did much simpler things. You're doing a three-finger swipe right or left um, to go through the various navigation modes and things like that. And you can control which ones are in there as well. So what's the status of TalkBack then? Do you feel like it got anything new or exciting? Did they kill any bad bugs? You know, it is what it is. I mean, like I said, everything, <laughs> everything. well, the multi-finger gestures are great. Nothing is ruined in Android 12. That's always the first thing is like, did anything, is anything working worse? Because the OS updates end up being foundational for whatever future accessibility features are going to be included, it seems. So there'll probably be another update in the fall or later this year. Brailleback. Just take our comments from last year in Brailleback and Brailleback and paste them here because <laughs> it's sadly still Not better. There is a third party Braille. You know, this is a, one of those things about Android. That's cool. There is a third party Braille uh, screen reader, a Braille reader called Braille TTY, which is pretty technical. I have not played with it, but apparently has been getting a lot of updates lately. And I do need to look at it because it might be a very viable alternative at this point. And that sounds like that's, I mean, just from the name, it sounds like it's specifically oriented toward deafblind folks who, who are using, used to using, say, TTY, but because they're Braille users, they haven't necessarily. It may have been where it started, that. but it certainly has expanded from that. It was yeah. big on Linux, and actually some of the Braille devices that are out there for the blind use that as a back end. Yeah. So how does it work in terms of, so, so TalkBack comes out in March, or it's announced in March, and then betas for the operating system, Android 12, start coming out in May and June. I mean, how do those things piggyback on one another? Are you, are you, is one dependent on the other? Are you working your way through betas of TalkBack that are separate from betas of the OS? There's an entire TalkBack beta flight. There's a, there's a public beta that anyone can join. 
Um, and those, you know, now not all the features will make it into the public beta. Sometimes they will go through other channels for betas uh, or for testing, but it is completely separate from the OS. Um, okay. So it was just part of Android 11. And I think you had to have the March update officially, the Android 11 update to get the latest talk back to make it work. Because there was a couple point, weeks where people, this wasn't working for a lot of people. And at some point that'll all settle down and it won't be part of Android 12, but it'll all be shipping stuff. Is that all the fall or is it going to happen sooner? Well, TalkBack is settled down. It's done. I mean, okay. it's in. <laughs> settled down? It's, it's TalkBack 9, Talk, right, 9. JJ? 9.1, yep. Nine, I think okay. we skipped over. Yeah, the version numbering is really weird. Right. Not that it matters, but I mean, if you have it, if you want it, you could get it. But one other thing I wanted to talk about, just because it's kind of fun, uh, and, and we covered it on uh, this show from an Apple point of view when it happened. So around Global Accessibility Awareness Day, which was May 20th this year, all the big companies, they do something. Either they do a dance and they say, we love our friends who use accessibility tools and here's what we've done for you. Or in some cases, they actually introduce new things. And in this case, Apple previewed a whole lot of accessibility features that are coming mostly to iOS and a pretty big one to the watch. And as I say, we covered that substantially. But what I didn't know until I started talking to these two is that apparently Google made some accessibility announcements right about the same time. So I'd love to hear about those and, and what you guys think in terms of Google's uh, messaging on accessibility. So I wasn't, I'm not sure of like the exact timing. I'm trying to like go back and look at the Google I.O. schedule, but apparently it's like now hard to find now that, the now that it's over. <laughs> the, yeah. Um, but I thought it was very interesting timing that Apple had pushed through those accessibility features the same day or roughly around the same time that Google was mm -hmm. doing this keynote. Um, you can go and watch the keynote online uh, or I think they called it a keynote. They were calling all these little sessions keynotes huh. because everything was virtual this year. So the big sessions that were supposed to be the lay of the land for certain parts of the Android OS, they were labeled as keynotes. So there was like, what's new in smart home? What's new in the Google Assistant? It was kind of like a keynote, even though it was only like a 10 minute Yeah, they were session. short. <laughs> yeah. Um, but May 20th was the last day of Google I.O., and I believe that was the day that they had done the accessibility sessions. And so I just thought it was very, I just thought it was a very interesting yeah. sort of pay, you know. Well, Apple chose to, I mean, a lot of companies <laughs> chose to use Global Accessibility Awareness Day as a means to announce features, which I thought was pretty rare for them because, you know, they could have easily just announced it during WWDC, which was what they've done in the past. But they decided to jump the gun because of that. And yes, the timing, because Google I.O. was right in the middle of that. It did. You, you said it, it happened right about the same hour, even as it seemed like as the. the ad. Yes. And well, so here's here's the thing. I admit that I got that mixed up when we were initially talking about it, because what happened was this week there was a, a pixel device feature drop right before an hour before the WWDC keynote. <laughs> So I oh, and well, I always look at these times and I'm true, like, yes. hmm, that's funny. This embargo is lifting mm, very close to the start of this other news thing that's happening. Yep. And then you get to decide what to write or your editors do, uh, you know, what to write first. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, it's an interesting I, I notice that they're doing all these sort of tit for tat. And look, that's that's the way this that's. That's how you make the money, right. I guess, in well, this day and age. Well, from an accessibility point of view, I mean, I, I like it because, and again, I said this this here when we talked about the Apple's things, 
is that the fact that they actually teased out features, and some people were speculating it's because there was no room in the dub dub keynote, which is probably true, but also, and there's, and in fact, there are more features than they even teased on Global Accessibility mm-hmm. Awareness Day. Those were, at least one of them was, there's always one accessibility feature that is demoed for mainstream purposes. This is the sexy one. This is the one that people are excited mm-hmm. about because they can understand it. And, and this year, in Apple land, it was the assistive touch for the watch. Last year, it was back tap on the phone. And so I don't, you know, Apple is getting more, and I assume Google, if the tit for tat thing has moved on to accessibility. And don't forget Microsoft, they're in there too, pitching. Uh, Sorry, Microsoft. <laughs> <laughs> no one on this podcast panel covers right. you Sorry. for work. No. So we're not. I, I occasionally, I've had, I've had Microsoft folks on the show here and uh, I'm happy to have them again. Jenny Lay Flurry did start following me last week, so oh. <laughs> nice. Uh, in any case, I, I I like that if we're going to have companies plugging away in terms of accessibility, I'm happy that they're doing so in terms of features. In and instead of it's this, I I love the accessibility community more than you do. That's not as interesting as here. Here's a feature that we're going to put on the watch in uh, August or September. Yep. That's so, exactly it. So to make the comparison, because I will here, and, you know, it, it seemed like for quite a few years, Apple was pretty stagnant with what they had done with voiceover because they were pretty far away and app, and Android was slowly catching up and had gotten pretty close to where voiceover was. And I was you know, happy to share that with everyone. And I still think it's perfectly fine. But now Apple, the last two years, has, are throwing in features into voiceover that are kind of taking it next level. Things that we haven't seen in screen readers as much at all before the image recognition, screen recognition that they put in last year. Opening up their APIs for charts and graphs uh, this year, among other things. So now Apple is kind of back in this. We're, we're ready to try new accessibility features that no other screen reader on any platform has. So, I mean, I do wish Google would do more of that. They've been promising a Braille back update for a long time, and I do think that's finally coming. Didn't I say that last year? I think you probably did. <laughs> As you say, rinse and repeat. We'll just paste in whatever yep. you said last year. Yeah. Yeah, right. And and it, it is interesting because the question I get asked most often on other people's podcasts is, so who's better, Android or Apple? And it's usually Apple people expecting that I will say Apple is ahead by a mile. And for a long time, it was, you, you could say that in specific contexts, but if you were talking about day-to-day features and the way everybody uses their phone, it wasn't clear to me that I had to tell people, no, you should get an iOS device as opposed to an Android device. You could get an Android device unless you want to use Braille or something like that. Uh, yep. But but you're right that what they're doing, and, and this is a way that machine learning in the Apple world is interesting because they're applying it specifically to accessibility features. There's the LiDAR stuff that they announced last year. There's uh, live text. Live text isn't an accessibility feature, but it is a feature that people with accessibility needs are going to use all the damn time. But live text came from an accessibility feature, at least in yes, part. Yes, it did. Yes, it did. It came from image description, which we got last year. Which but to I, be I, fair, okay, one thing we should mention uh, yeah. on, on the Google side, you know, there's been Lens for many years. There's been quite a few updates to Google Lookout which I think is, a, is a quite of an unsung hero for accessibility apps. Um, right. It does all sorts of stuff. So Lookout is an app that can do text recognition. It can recognize food labels. They're adding several new modes as well to recognize objects, which has gotten quite a bit better. I actually, you know, that's a feature I didn't, as a blind person, I don't think I usually need an object recognizer, right? To, oh, this is a chair. Okay, I could have figured that out. But I was in a situation about a month ago where I was not able to walk around very much. 
Um, and I came into a hotel room and I wanted to find the microwave and I did not want to be stumbling around the room, hurting my leg more to figure out where that was. And I was able to pull out, look out. And as soon as I waved it up, I located the microwave within about five to 10 seconds. So it's, that's amazing. I, right. I, I right. And in this, in this whole great. pandemic world, as a, as a, as a blind yep. person, you don't really want to be putting your hands on everything in that order too. to find the yep. things on tables. So, so what about phone hardware and maybe, maybe Flo, this is your bailiwick, but I, I know that with, uh, Apple has machine learning hardware and they have the LIDAR in some phones and that makes some of what they're doing possible or at least easier. And also, of course, they're making the software, but our, our, are Pixel phones and Samsung phones and the other major Android phones kind of keeping up in terms of what's necessary for uh, machine learning and advanced sort of recognition type features? Yes and no, because the problem is still, I mean, we're always going to have fragmentation, unfortunately, in this platform. So it really does depend which manufacturer you stick with and which is why I always suggest to people to, if you're looking for a flagship phone, choose Samsung or Pixel yep. or OnePlus is also, they also are really good at keeping things updated. They're very good at updating Oxygen OS, which is their, it's not exactly a fork. It's just more of their interface on top of Android. Um, and they're pretty good about not deviating too far from the original source code, at least in terms of functionality and features. So that's always, that's always kind of a thing to consider. But when it comes to phones like Motorola, for instance, is still making, they make a lot of mid-range phones that people buy. And so you'll find a lot of those accessibility features on there. What I'm not sure is when it comes to things like live captions, Pixel phones were the first that the feature debuted on. I'm still trying to understand the strategy behind this, if it has to do with actual development of the feature and Google wants to just test it on Pixel phones and just kind of see how it works there before it pushes it out to everybody else. But the problem with that is that's when you start to get the disparity in accessibility features or any features that come in Android. That's where you start to see, okay, these phones are only getting upgraded to Android 11. These phones have Android 12. Then it's like, okay, do I save money (laughs) so that I can save money? Or do I dole out all of this money on this phone just to ensure that I have features when they first come out. And so that's where it really starts to break down and continue to remind me of the problems that plague this platform. And then when you look at live transcribe or you look at the multi-finger gestures, many of those mid-range phones will never get those features at all. Maybe the, maybe it's, the updated they, copy. And it's very taxing yep. on yeah, I was gonna say, So is that because the hardware just can't take it or because they can't upgrade to Android 12, which I guess is probably part of the same thing? Probably a bit of both. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's yeah, especially for the yeah. multi-finger gestures. I think that's just really, you know, some embedded OS stuff, and which is in Android 11, not 12. But I don't think every phone that gets Android 11 is going to ultimately uh, work with the multi-finger gestures. So if that's a thing you're really looking for, at least now I can modify my recommendation to people for accessibility. Say, hey, you can get Pixels and you can get Samsungs, where before I was kind of not always encouraging the Samsung phones. So that, that has changed a bit. Yeah, I do think it's hardware, though. I, you know, the microphones on certain phones probably aren't as good for live transcribe or they think you might get an inferior experience. We're just speculating. I am. I mean, live transcribe relies so much on that on-device machine learning. Yeah. And so, you know, the higher-end phones, they have specialized... I mean, I know the Pixel phone has its own chip that does all of that language processing, which... My understanding, this is completely my own anecdotal understanding. This is why 
sometimes you won't see features on certain, like even Apple's doing this with, from what I understand, their their processors made in-house are better equipped to handle that on-device processing than, say, an Intel chip on their laptops. Yeah, and that happens on iOS, too. So because the machine learning in the iPhone 12s, which is the current set, and again, credit to them for putting the same processor in all of that line of phones. Uh, that's got all the features. And it, and what you don't find, what you don't know until the fine print of WWDC comes out, or even later sometimes, is whether a specific phone f- phone feature that they've announced is going to be available back down to the line, even, even though iOS 15 supports phones that go back, say, six years, you're not going to get all of those machine learning yep, intensive true. features, which is why I talk about machine learning as much as I do. It's not that I'm enamored of it. It's just that if this feature is why you want a new device, you got to make sure that or a new device or new operating system, you got to make sure that the device you plan to run it on is actually capable of doing it. And it's harder to make that decision in Android land because you don't necessarily you have more choices, right? You, you're like, okay, should I get a, a Pixel or a Samsung? That's probably easy just in terms of, well, I can make, I'm pretty sure it's going to get the I, uh, the Android 12 upgrade soon, but does it have the, the hardware to do the thing that I really am excited about having it do? The Android 12 update, sure. But, you know, looking ahead into the future, how long do you plan on using the phone that you're about to buy now? And if you have the means, and not everyone has the financial means for this, but if you have the means to go flagship, then at least, you know, my Pixel Three, well, this is probably we'll get one more year, and this will probably be the last year of updates for that. But at least it'll still get updates, uh, you know. But definitely now, like, okay, I would probably recommend waiting a couple months till the fall, or you know, until the new A series comes out. I was gonna say we're already rumoring about the next A series. Yep, it should be and about that time. It, they're yeah, they're trying to to push it on you know the Father's Day sales right now. Like get your dad a phone. The phones are under four hundred dollars, so they're not super um, out of range yeah. to purchase. And at least that way, if you buy through Google, you know that they are going to support the phone. They are going to push out those features because they they want to keep they want to keep kind of uh, waving that flag. Sure. It's just like Pride Month. Everybody's just waving the flag <laughs> for this month, Google you know. Flag. <laughs> yeah, just, and they're like, "Look, accessibility! Come over here, we got it." If you like this show, there is a very good chance you will like Rocket Quiz Time. Do you know the first original podcast produced by Relay FM? It was Rocket, and they're now over three hundred episodes strong. Every week, mostly without fail, Christina Warren, Simone de Rochefort, and Brianna Wu make it weird on Rocket. Rocket covers all the hard tech news, but they do it in a fun way. From the latest Apple news to scams with fake blood testing companies, Rocket is there. Rocket is a lot of fun. I I enjoy listening to it because it doesn't take itself too seriously, even when we're talking about serious tech stories. And oh, by the way, they have a lot of fun along the way. Also, each host on Rocket has her own unique perspective. There's not a lot of why, yes, I agree with you, you're right, that's the official take of the show. They're not arguing, they're just giving you their own point of view, and they come from different parts of the tech industry too, so that's a lot of fun. I really enjoy the the energy and the vibe on Rocket. So if you're looking for a Rocket episode to start with, try 300, it's called Dessert. Bree Simone and Christina found turkey dinner flavored candy on the internet. They try it on the air, and it doesn't go well. 
Become the fourth member of Christina, Bree, and Simone's gang by going to relay.fm slash rocket or search wherever you get your podcasts for Rocket. Anything else that we should talk about with regard to Android 12 or accessibility of the Android platform? Anything anything we haven't hit? There's small little things here and there. Um, there's you know some more app notifications. So like if if an app does something that you really wouldn't expect it to do, say copy something off your clipboard from another application, you'll theoretically get a little pop up uh, that that's going to happen. So there's more. These are kind of these privacy type features. See how they work in practice. And I think this is more for malicious apps because most of the apps that I, at least I think this is for malicious apps. I hope the apps that I'm using now aren't going to be doing things that I wasn't expecting, but maybe I'll be surprised. Um, <laughs> you know, so, of course, with accessibility, it's like, okay, how is this going to speak and will I notice it? But um, it seems to be a little better. I noticed at trying to pull out, like if you have a phone number buried in the middle of a text message and you copy that whole message to the clipboard, now if you go to the keyboard, it will pull out just the phone number. And let mm-hmm. you paste it. I've seen that in action a couple times already, and that's worked well. So it's little nice things. That's a Gboard feature, as far as I am aware. So my understanding is Gboard will be the one getting the update. You're probably right. Yeah, um, I mean, that's the thing. Again, it's always like, where is this new feature actually going to land? Is it really mm-hmm. 12? Is it something else? Is it, is it right? an app that I have to up- update to the Play Store? Um, I will say in terms of accessibility, there's a new magnifier. So current magnification I hope I said that right. Current magnification on Android, it uses the entire screen to magnify, but this new window magnifier will maintain context while zooming into a spot. That's nice. Just kind of like understand where you are at in the interface. So that's a little nicer. Um, Let's see. There's an extra dim setting, which I'm, this for me as a person who gets constant migraines, this is exciting for me because I can turn down the brightness and for anybody else who the low brightness is still too bright it's nice to be able to have this as part of the oh, os yes. versus I... having to go look at some app that can read over your screen <laughs> i saw that and i was wondering how that would work or how it would work with the existing dim screen uh talkback it, feature it sounds like something i would totally uh use because i keep my brightness low anyway and and the bane of my existence is some sort of auto brightness that wants to tell me how bright i want my screen and so I was just like, like, start with extra dim, and if I need it brighter, I can turn it up exactly. a little bit. So. I want it so dark that when I get up in the morning, I can't see the screen. Like, there that's how go. dark I know it was at night. There you go. I'm with you. And at least <laughs> at least this way, again, you don't have to download a third-party app and give it access to read your screen, because you have to do that when you download a third-party app <laughs> in Android. <laughs> Well, uh, thank you guys for educating me on the Android world and uh, forgive all the, but this is how Apple does it, mentions that I had to put No, in. but you educated me, <laughs> Shelly, because now I know when I go into conversations, I'm like, well, I heard Apple did that There you already, go. Feel, so. f- feel free to uh, take little bits of my brain as you need them. <laughs> Will do. Um, so as we close, I would love to hear uh, from each of you guys where you can be found on the internet. Flo, why don't you get us started? So you can find me at gizmodo.com. I write there every day. Every day? Oh, my goodness. Ooh. Every day. That's the way the web works. Every day. <laughs> yeah, five days a week. Um, also, you can listen to me here on the Relay FM network on Material Podcast. I do it with Andy Anatko. We talk about Google. And I also have another podcast on the Twit network that's all about Android. So if you are if you are listening to this podcast and you go, you know what? I'm a big fan of Android and I like to see a bunch of people make really bad dad jokes. That's... That's all about Android, so come join us. I I think that's what our (laughs) friends at the Twit Network bring to the world. There's lots of opportunities for bad dad jokes. Love you, Twit. (laughs) 
<laughs> JJ, how about you? Where can you be found online? Clubhouse. No. <laughs> You're still doing that, huh? <laughs> here and there. No, I mean, I missed so, a couple for recently. <laughs> here and there, maybe not as much. There was definitely a time when I was on it every day and now yeah. trying to find the balance between that and IRL. Um, linebargains.com is where our podcast is. We've been doing this, lots of random interviews. Uh, we've been calling it virtual uh, convention coverage because there aren't any real conventions to go to, but have been interviewing all sorts of interesting people in accessibility and beyond over the past few months. So that's over at blindbargains.com or you can follow me on Twitter uh, at blindbargains is the site for that or personally at J-A-G-E-9. Awesome. You can follow this show at relay.fm slash parallel. Please subscribe. We love subscribers. You can also follow it on Twitter at parallel pods. Follow me personally on Twitter at Shelly, S-H-E-L-L-Y. Guest suggestions, feedback, love feedback, by the way, and including too much Apple content. That's that's my favorite feedback that I get. So yay! Uh, but anyway, happy to hear happy to hear any any and all uh, reactions. We'll be back in a couple weeks with a show that I've already recorded, and it's really awesome. Bye now.